Welcome to the EV Ready Podcast, featuring industry leaders and their perspectives on electrification, hosted by EV Ready Energy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EV Ready Podcast, and I am honored and grateful to have Savas Sisteridis on the podcast today. Two seconds ago, I told him I was going to butcher his name. I probably still did. My Greek friends aren't going to be happy about it, but uh, nevertheless, I'm still grateful to have you on, and, and, and thanks for taking some time today to talk about uh, New York City Yellow Cabs. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you. And you didn't and you didn't do so badly on the name. I've been called... Uh, even much- called worse. <laughs> the people, you know, throughout when I was in college, they, they, even the first name was Butcher. They, from Savas to Stavros to Savos, uh, so I'm used to it. It's okay, but you did a great job. It makes sense. And I, you know, I shouldn't put together that you're Greek, but but where I am, uh, where I live, all of the restaurants I go to all the time are Greek, and I'm about to gain some credibility within the community, so... Thanks for that too. It really helps me locally as well. We'll <laughs> give you um, a free souvlaki or something. Um, it, yes, yeah. You know the the Greek community is near and dear to me near Boston. They uh, they do well, and uh, they're they're my bank. So um, well, hey, thanks for joining. And I was I was excited about this one. So Savas owns United Taxi in the New York City metro area and is doing some really exciting things. Uh, and and really is just a wealth of knowledge related to we were just talking about it a second ago new york city yellow cabs the first thing you think of when you go to new york city and it's about to transform dramatically and i think it'll be interesting to kind of hear your take on that well absolutely absolutely thanks for having me on um as as i mentioned before um uh new york city any any uh from the movies from the posters from uh the first thing that's related, uh, besides the Empire State Building at the Brooklyn Bridge, um, you always see a yellow cab. Uh, so it's it's deep rooted in the DNA of New York. It is my my kids' favorite superhero is Spider Man, and they know two things: they know the Brooklyn Bridge and yellow cabs in New York City. So agreed. You know, it's funny. Um, a couple of days ago, when you uh, mentioned uh, that uh, you invited me to do this podcast. Um, I started reading up a little bit on, and I also found out that the the number one selling souvenir in New York is a yellow can. Oh, is it? Burgers. <laughs> That's not surprising. Yeah. That's not, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. The other thing I want to do in New York City is I want to go to, because I'm a Friends fan, which I know is polarizing, but I love the Friends sitcom, and I know they opened up the Central Park, and I didn't get there last week when I was with you. I wanted to work the next day there, but next time I get out there. That I did not know. What did they open as Central Park? Have you seen Friends before? The show? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So Central Park, the coffee shop that is in the show, they opened up in New York City. Oh. Yeah. See, I learned something today. <laughs> in by New York. <laughs> That's how big New York City is for you. You're living in New York City. and uh, But you know what? That, that is something that everyone outside of New York City would, would know that as an actual New Yorker, you would fly right over the radar. <laughs> uh, no idea. Hopefully, they'll take a yellow cap to go to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I was born in Greece, came to... Uh, New York to the United States, I should say. You see, we New Yorkers have a tendency to say 
to consider New York its, its own country sometimes when we said came to New York. I actually came to the United States. So when I was 15 and um, have been here ever since with the exception of a few years of uh, college and playing a little bit of professional football and that's it. Uh, I meant European football, soccer. So, so <laughs> I was about uh, to say. <laughs> for someone else, yeah, I'm a little too small to play American football. Who did you play for? Um, uh, played in uh, Cleveland um, and uh, a few local New York teams. And, oh, got it. Uh, a little bit in Europe. Cool, cool. Not a long career by that time. But uh, I have been, and then uh, eventually, Chris, I uh, found my way into the taxi business, started a small fleet of um, 14 medallions and eventually grew to um, currently or close to uh, 500 plus. And um, the New York City industry was thriving for many, many years, uh, being sort of, I guess we can say a monopoly. And, and eventually uh, I found myself um, expanding to other cities, went into Chicago, bought a small company, built it out to uh, close to 600 medallions. We had a full-scale operation there. Started another operation in uh, Philadelphia, expanded to New Orleans. So at some point, uh, we were I was involved traveling around every week to a new location to keep an eye on the business. Currently, I still have the operation in Chicago, but primarily, you know, the, the, the main business is in New York. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and tell me, so I think what listeners are going to find really interesting, tell us a little bit about New York City Yellow Cabs. How does it work? How many medallions are there? Uh, what percentage of the medallions are yours? How are they distributed? Anything related to New York City Yellow Cabs, I think you know people would find unique and interesting. Sure. Um, there's 13,500 uh, taxi medallions in New York. That number was significantly uh, less up to sometime in the 2014 and below. They're limited. Uh, they have the exclusive right. What makes them different is the license from New York. It's a license that the city issues. And they have the exclusive right to street hail. So they that's what creates the value. And pre-Uber, when I said when I mentioned before that we had a monopoly, pre-Uber, uh, there were no calls. The technology has advanced. Uh, people relied mostly on yellow cabs. You go to the corner, you raise your hand, you get a taxi. The city increased uh, for the first time after, I believe, the, sometimes in the 60s. They auctioned off a few thousand medallions, and that's how they came to 13 and a half. It was much less before. It's iconic. The yellow stands out, so everybody knows it's a taxi. Um, we have gone through some difficult times in the last um, seven years, because obviously with technology with Uber and uh, Lyft and so on, the ride share companies, um, but um, it's making a comeback. How did COVID impact you? COVID impacted everyone. <laughs> we were almost shut down. We we actually shut down for a couple of months. Um, it had a huge impact on the business. The way the taxi works, especially from my side of the, the taxi fleet, we managed 500 medallions. We came down to about 40 during COVID for many, many reasons. Not only that nobody was getting out of the house, but also the drivers stayed home. Um, so we shut down for uh, two, three months. And then a lot of my drivers were doing work for the city 
and for the hospitals that were they were transporting. And a few of them, like four out of the 500, continue working throughout COVID. But we're still trying to get to 100% utilization. Out of the 500, for example, we have uh, 358 vehicles now that are working. Uh, that was due to the supply chain was broken. There were no vehicles available. Uh, very difficult to to source vehicles in order to put the medallions. And maybe I should explain how the medallion and the taxi, the car is related. The taxi license, which is we have what's called the medallion. Um, you have to get the license. You have to uh, get a vehicle, prep it, get it ready, go to the taxi limousine commission, get it approved. And then once they put that medallion, they put it on the hood and they give you the paperwork. And then the vehicle is able to go back to work. So when we say that we have uh, 500 medallions, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have 500 vehicles working because we haven't gotten to that stage yet. Got it. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a really interesting role for you to have taken um, during COVID, having you know some of your workers workers bringing people to and from the hospital. That's really interesting. They uh, they were working with um, uh, assisting. There were a number of drivers, and uh, the industry actually did uh, quite a bit of work during that. My fleet it was about forty vehicles, but there were other other fleets and other drivers that participated. That's really interesting. Wow. Okay, well, um, so talk to me a little bit about uh, electrification New York City, some of the requirements, some of the timelines, and, and how they're affecting your business. We, the, the requirements of the city to electrify, it's mostly for ride share as of now. It is not for yellow. It has not been made. But I, having said that, I think it's a matter of time before that comes our way. So they have to electrify ride share as they electrify by 2035, and that's going to start starting in 2024, as a percentage of rides have to be through electric vehicles. And as as the years go by, that percentage goes up until 2035, that has to be 100% uh, electric. Having said that, I um, had started back in 2019, and I believe that's how we met, right? Yep. I, I saw this coming, and I thought in order to revamp and... and um, taxi needed a little bit of a change. So I thought maybe we can do taxi 2.0. Let's try to look into electrifying, building a little bit of the infrastructure because without the infrastructure, you can electrify. And especially back in 2019, there were no electric charges anywhere for many, many reasons. Obviously also for the way I saw it, electric vehicles don't have the maintenance, they don't have the issues that a gas vehicle has. And I thought it would do wonders for the business as well, not only for the environment and the carbon footprint, but also for us being able to keep and utilize those vehicles at a higher, much higher rate than what a gas vehicle uh, does for the year. Uh, obviously, and I'm going to go back to your question before, when you mentioned the impact of COVID, that threw us off for about two years. I imagine. So so that that delayed us, that uh, we shut down, the plans were put on hold, um, and I'm trying to revive them now. So we're in the process of... Um, trying to build the infrastructure and um, convert the, field, the the whole fleet to, um, to electric. And, and how many electric cars do you have today? I have uh, five Teslas, uh, four of it. So in 2008, I ordered four, four 
uh, Model 3s, and we were able to put those, we delayed, we put them in January of 2021 because of COVID. And I also installed two fast chargers, you know, to be able to support them and put the drivers at ease because that creates a great amount of um, range anxiety, as you know, I'm sure you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and so I figured if I had the two fast chargers in place, it would put the drivers, because it's something new for them, it would put them at ease, at least that they know hey, we can go charge quickly and get back to work. So you had two public fast chargers in uh, just outside of New York City in Long Island City. Uh, how what, what did you see for utilization of those uh, fast chargers in the past couple of years? It, it, Chris, in the beginning, I'm going to start like this. In the beginning, <laughs> I thought... You buy two electric vehicles, you plug them in, and you just go along, and you buy the fast charger. I didn't realize what it entailed and what the regulatory process is and the power that's required to be able to run all those. So, and and that's how we met. Yes, I believe you Tesla back then. Yeah. So um, it was an interesting story, you know how I was trying to I was trying to find out how to purchase Teslas. Nobody would get back to me. So then I had a friend who made a couple of calls. I went in and I got some response, and eventually I met the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I sidetracked on this. But um, we installed the fast chargers. We put the vehicles. We had the drivers. Initially, there was a very positive reaction from the drivers who were excited that they were getting in. But that dra- uh, the uh, range anxiety took, took its toll, and it took a while for them to get used to it. Having said that, those two charges ex- exceeded all expectations. We had certain months that we hit 915 sessions in in a month, which anyone in the industry, uh, and like I said, I learned a lot. Some of the experts in the industry were shocked at the utilization that we were getting. And I think when we did the numbers over the course of a longer period, uh, it came to about 600 sessions per month. It's, it's really interesting because when I got into the industry in the fast charging side, 2017, the average amount of sessions at a location per day 25 kilowatt hours per session or so would be zero to two sessions per day. The other thing too is you only had two fast chargers there. I bet if you had eight fast chargers there, it would have been more because sometimes if a location has more fast chargers, more people will go to go to it because there's more reliability that the charger will, will be there. And um, but it just really goes to show like the need for for fast charging in New York City right now. I was just uh, shocked because those charges were installed in 21, beginning of 21. I was a little bit shocked at the the utilization that we got because I didn't expect there were not that many electric vehicles. 2020. I mean, today uh, you see them all over there, but they, they, I just didn't expect the utilization. I didn't expect people st- uh, suddenly started showing up and charging. And we only had two. And I think if we had the plan was to put 10, um, 600 sessions a month, I think that's pretty- It's not too bad. Pretty high. Yeah. Not not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. Okay. Well, so so right now you have you know a certain amount of electric cars. Tell me about what uh, United Taxi looks like five years from now and what the entire yellow cab's footprint looks like five or 10 years from now. Well, let me start with United Taxi. United Taxi, the way I see it is, we want to be 100% electric. 
it's going to be a little challenging for us because um, 50% of the industry has to be handicap accessible. And at this time, there's not an electric vehicle that provides that. There's no electric vehicle that has the accessibility. Um, I'm sure it will come at some point, sooner or later. But at this time, it doesn't exist. So even with my 500 uh, plus medallions um, that we have under management here, we're, we're going to be 50%, so 250 vehicles, let's say. But um, I just see the fleet being 100% electric, if possible. And I can speak, you know, the, the, what I started back in 19, where I thought that electric vehicles from reading how they, what the maintenance and the little that I did, the little research that I did, it kind of proved me right. So I put the uh, Tesla 3s and the Tesla 1 Tesla Y, which is the proper vehicle for our industry, by the way, much better suited for taxi than uh, the 3. For the last uh, two years, we had minimal minimal maintenance cost on those vehicles. Order of magnitude, how different was it? I think I'm averaging maybe somewhere in the $1,300, dollars for the last, for the first two years. And primarily the problems that we had were the 12-volt batteries that were draining. It's funny you say that. That came up on my car today. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 That's funny. And, and, and what would be the cost of an average gas car? We're averaging across the board as a taxi fleet that we have a, a variety of vehicles, right? So because a taxi technically stays on the road 24-7, hopefully. I mean, that's the best case scenario that it works 24-7, but it doesn't. But the a taxi average is 80 to 100,000 miles a year. So even a new gas vehicle within a year, it's a very used vehicle. And it takes a lot of abuse, especially with the streets that we have in New York. After the, the first year of maintenance costs, we're averaging about $4,800 a year. And that doesn't include also some of our labor costs because we do have uh, a, a slew of mechanics that are full-time employed. So if you add that too, you know, we're going in the 5,500 plus per vehicle. But having said that, the last, the Teslas, the five Teslas that have been operating for two and a half years, we're looking at maybe two and a half thousand. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you hear that all the time. It's 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 cool. To, there's probably nobody that could answer that question better than you. You kind of always hear that statistic and people talk about how they're more reliable, but you're probably the guy that that should be headlining that across the United States so that people do understand how much more reliable they can be. Well, the one thing that I did, Chris, when I, when I started talking about it, electrifying, everybody thought I was crazy. Um, um, they said it will never work. There's no charging. Uh, was going to drive it, this limited range. And uh, what I did is um, I took it upon myself to get the vehicle approved by the Taxi Limousine Commission. I was the first one to get it approved uh, because we have to go through a certain approval process. Um, it, it, it depends the leg room that the, the backseat has and all that, the specs. And everything, it got approved very quickly. And then I decided to sort of take the chance, invest buy the vehicles, buy the chargers, install them, and get the data. Because there was no data for any electric vehicle being in a taxi fleet uh, for commercial purposes and averaging 60, 70, 80,000 miles a year. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's just like the central... I mean, I guess there are people with the auto manufacturers that are probably driving around all day testing this, but there's no better test than New York City yellow cabs. And the other thing that we saw... 
Now, there are many variables for that, but the other thing that I saw is that those two, those uh, five vehicles, knock on wood, have not had an accident. So the technology in the vehicle also makes a big difference. Interesting. And it, for me, it has made a difference. Uh. And um, as the technology improves, obviously, that's going to play also into, you know, having those kind of vehicles in a, in a taxi with all the technology to prevent any collision. You know, I, I, I have a Tesla and what I've always been impressed with is if there are moments when I do lose focus for whatever reason, it, it knows like the minute that I'm accelerating more than I should be. And, and it, at the moment that my brain doesn't realize it, it, it beeps. It's actually like really impressive and it's awesome that, you know, that you haven't had any yet. I'm, I'm not surprised at all though, to hear that there are less accidents in a car that has this technology that allows a human being to have its second eyes in some sense while they're on the road. Oh, Absolutely. Having said that, I don't want to jinx it. So <laughs> I'm not going to wait. It's my Greek, uh, you know, my Greek heritage is a little Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure your friend in uh, Boston can tell you about that. I I know exactly what you're referencing. Uh, yes, that that is real. <laughs> that's real. That's real. Every on a normal day and at the casino, it's especially real. So, so my next question, I guess my last question is this: as an additive to where the industry is going to be in a few years, how are the ride-sharing apps impacting New York City Yellow Cabs? The ride-share impacted, we started seeing the impact in 2016, uh, 15, 16, late 15. Uh, well, it had a tremendous impact uh, on the business. It was something new. It was something easy. I mean, I could understand the technology being, and um, e-hell became almost as distant as street hell. So um, being something new and exciting to everybody, we saw a number of drivers migrate to um, eHell, to the rideshare companies, I should say. And um, the industry was impacted. Having said that, it, it, it made the industry forced to make changes, improve, keep up a little bit with some of the technological advancements that have been made. So we have the same maps now. Taxi, you know, you can call a taxi, you can pay it through. So uh, things have improved. You know, it, it's so interesting what you just said, because like, that's just, that is life. Like sometimes things happen and you're forced to become a better version of yourself and and you come out better on the other side. You know, when I said before that um, we were, we almost had sort of like a monopoly to straight hell. Yeah. That when you have that kind of luxury for a while, you tend to be a little stale. There's, there's no reason to change. Now this, what he has done, he has forced the industry to do an upgrade. I still see the industry as needing to upgrade a little more in order to be more competitive. So this this whole concept of electrifying and keeping up, you know, that's that's creating taxi 2.0, like I was saying before. That's, that's the goal, to try to stay competitive. Now, we are very re regulated. And sometimes that makes it a little more difficult to do so. Yeah. You, you can't be over-regulated. And it makes it very difficult to compete with a non-regulated industry. Um, don't forget taxi. What makes taxi a little bit different than uh, rideshare is that the city, we have, the city determines what we can charge the passenger. Well, I should say what the driver can charge the person. Because the way it works is the following. I lease the medallion to a driver. The driver goes out and his customer is the passenger. 
my customer is the driver. However, that driver, when he takes a ride from point A to point B, that is determined by the city what the charge should, should be. There is no price surge. That's a really interesting differentiation. There is no price surge because it's raining or snowing or it's cold outside. So the yeah. $20 ride is 50. That happens to my kids, by the way, a lot. Uh, so, and not from taxi, by the way. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, so we're, we're regulated what we can charge, what the driver can charge the passenger when he goes from point A to point B. But we, as a company, are regulated to what we can charge the driver for leasing that medallion from us. So it's a very regulated industry. It is good for the public because the public knows what they're going to pay. And you know that no surprise is that your initial ride that uh, should be $20 is suddenly 50. It would always be 20. That's really interesting. So that's the advantage. And in a way, a little bit of a disadvantage because we're overrated. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting. Cool. Well, thanks for talking about that. Um, with me. I appreciate you joining. Uh, you've been a great friend and business partner over the past couple of years. And I always, uh, you know, when, when EV Ready got going, one of my first thoughts was should reach out to Savas because I think one of your projects, you, your projects that you're doing and, and where you're going is some of the most interesting things in the industry. So appreciate all of that and, and you joining the podcast to talk about all this. Thank you, Chris. And it, you know, it's funny, it's, um, it's interesting. When I started looking into this, that's how we met. And here we are almost three years later. <laughs> but I, the, the project that I'm doing is the first person that I reached was you to join the team. I appreciate that. I do yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Exciting times ahead. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for the time. And uh, thanks everyone for listening uh, to the EV Ready podcast. And we'll see you next time.